We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have Sam Sochet on the podcast today. He was celebrated as the 2019 New York City High School Principal of the Year by the New York City High School Principals Association for his monumental work in transforming Martin Van Buren High School, a large comprehensive high school in Queens, New York. And we're going to talk more about that process, but Sam, welcome to Transformative Principle. Hey, good evening. I'm excited to talk with you today. Uh, So New York City School District is huge. New York City Department of Education, I think is what it's really called. Uh, It's huge. And to be uh, selected by your peers 
as the principal of the year is to me a big deal. What'd that mean to you to be voted as the high school principal of the year by your peers? It was practically shocking because the the work that you do, you don't really think about it as being voted on or looked at in that way. But it, it's a it's an award where you're recognized not by your supervisors, but by the people that you work with, uh, the people that you share your ideas with, you know, the other principals. And there's 442 high schools in New York City currently. So you can, yeah, you can imagine it's, it was, it was a shocking experience. <laughs> to say and the it, least. it seems that in a school district that big, uh, 442, just high schools. I mean, I work with a lot of schools, districts that are smaller, you know, one high school principal, one elementary school principal, one middle school principal. And that that's just so big. It seems like it would be almost impossible for it to not be a mess in some ways. And there's so many people, it's impossible to serve everybody's needs when it's that big. So how do you manage that in a, in a system so large? You really have to concentrate on what you're doing at your school. And at the same time, learn as much as you can from all the other schools that are doing great things. So it's, it's a long learning curve. And then once you see what other people are doing well under d- difficult circumstances, you adapt it to what you do. You adapt what this, this makes sense. Now nah, I can't do that because my, you know, the, the school, the culture, the community is different here than it is over there where it works. So Brooklyn has, you know, communities where something might work with, with families where I was, remember uh, where, where I was, I had kids coming from all over the city. I had kids coming in, some of them commuting an hour and a half or more just to get to school at a eight o'clock start time. So they, they would have to be on a bus or on a train at six 30 in the morning. We're talking about teenagers who don't get any sleep to begin with. So you have to, uh, you know, so what do you do? You, you, you create schedules that either make more sense for them or you make accommodations for specific kids that are having trouble getting there. Uh, you create a Saturday school. The Saturday school starts at nine. It's easier to get there because there's less people taking public transit on Saturday. So we had amazing attendance on time attendance on Saturdays, things like that. And you offer credits and nobody else was really doing it the way we were doing it. And now uh, my understanding is a lot of schools, well, until this pandemic hit, were starting to adopt some of the things that we were doing, which kind of makes sense because we, we became really successful. Well, when I took over the school, we had a 45 percent graduation rate, four-year graduation rate of 45 by 2018, it was just about 80%. Without firing staff, without uh, changing the demographics all that much, something that I was told before I became a principal that couldn't be done in a large high school, but it can be done. Yeah, it it absolutely can. And what, what I love about what you said, Sam, is that um, you can't just take what other people have done and try to just apply it wholesale to your school. And that is true for anybody anywhere. And your school is its own unique entity. And you have to recognize that it is a unique thing. That being said, that doesn't mean that you should just disregard what anybody else is doing because they're not your school. But that's what the purpose of this podcast is, is to help people hear what other people are doing and say, how can I make that work in my school? And it's possible. And taking your graduation rate from 45% to 80% in just a few short years is a monumental 
task. And it's not to be taken lightly because, you know, we, we know that that's important. So we need to do those things that will make that happen. And what you did may not work someplace else. Saturday school may be a really bad idea in some communities because Saturdays are uh, reserved for other things. And so you may get enormous pushback on that. But for you, that was something that worked. And so uh, a couple of things that you said that I want to talk about um, is one is doing that without reducing your staff or getting rid of of the bad eggs. A lot of times we say <laughs> that's how we, how we make changes. We get those people who aren't doing the right stuff to move on. And you're saying you took a different approach. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with staff and how you brought them yeah. along in that process? It was very difficult, uh, Jethro. There's no, you know, there, there were a lot of rocky, rocky moments. I'm going to quote some of the people that I worked with. They said, Sam, basically you're going to have a third of the staff that'll always be with you. You're going to have a third of the staff that will always be against you, no matter what you do. And you can have a third that uh, will go either way, depending on how you come across to them. So that's what I did. I really tried to win over the people that were on the fence. How? By creating things that worked better for them and for the kids. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to concentrate only on the kids. It's a, you know, in, a, in a perfect universe. Maybe that would be a good approach. Remember when you hear, it's all about the kids. It's all about the adults too. The adults are there every day. They're there every year. And you got to accommodate what their needs are. you got to address uh, what their thoughts are. You have to listen to them legitimately. And that's really what I did. I got enough of them over to understand what we needed to do. We couldn't do things the same way that obviously it was, they were going to, Jethro, they were going to close the school down. They were really going to close it down. As a matter of fact, the community wanted it closed down. They didn't want Martin Van Buren to continue. They, it was, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues there. Uh, it, it, there were some racist issues or racial issues because at that time, the, uh, the demographic was primarily African-American um, and the community surrounding the school was not. So there was this feeling that we don't want these kids here. Why? Are they bad kids? No, they just don't look like the kids that we want around. And no one ever said those words, but they alluded to it. And there was also some issues that, with that in terms of some staff also did not believe that these kids could succeed. And so it was a matter of, of a learning curve for everybody that, you know what, if you approach the kids with high expectations I mean, real high expectations. They can turn around. For example, I'll give you an example. When I got there, there were about five AP classes, five different advanced place classes. By the time we got to my last year, we had a dozen. So, for example, in science, now a, a student could take AP environmental, AP biology, which was always there, but now we could add um, AP chemistry. We had AP calculus, but now we had two different uh, advanced placement computer courses. We added two more um, social studies, history, uh, AP histories, and so on, AP English, AP art. <laughs> and what, it, now the thing is, many advanced placement teachers are sort of programmed with the idea that you can't just give me any kid. I, I don't want kids in this class unless I know that they're going to be successful. Uh, they want just the cream of the crop. And there was, you know, there was very little faith 
that students that never had a shot at an AP class could go in there and just be exposed to this pre-college or collegiate type environment and what that could do for them. And that's why when I, when I shared that video with you with the college march, same yeah. thing, this idea that kids, mm-hmm. you don't have to go to college, but I'm going to give you every opportunity that if you want to, you can and you will. It's a big shift that you have to do slowly. Here's the strange part. You know, there's this whole idea, because uh, I, I, I listened to your, your previous podcast and uh, you, uh, Dr. Thomas talked about, you can't go in there like gangbusters and just make wholesale changes. But on the other hand, when you come into a school that is struggling like that, the expectation is that you move the needle uh, significantly. You can't, it's, uh, you have to move the Titanic to avoid the iceberg because you're headed straight for it. So at the same time, you have to be patient. And then at the same time, you have to operate with a tremendous sense of urgency. So there's a lot of this yin yang that you have to deal with and including Having teachers in the faculty seminar room or in the large auditorium that are going to be looking at you funny, thinking that you have three heads and saying, I ain't going to follow this guy. You know, I'm not. And at the same time, you have to look straight at them and say, you have to do this because this is for the kids. And it's just the communication just happening with your eyes. It's really it's powerful. Yeah, for sure. And I, so that the link to that College March video is in the show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So make sure you go check that out after you're done listening to this because it, it, it's so good because it's it's not about specifically going to college like you said, but it's about opening doors and giving people opportunity, you know? And so when there's this emphasis on, on college, then you're going to to give people an opportunity to get there. And then they can still make their choice, but not having an opportunity to go to college is taking away a number of choices. And the idea is for kids to have more choices about what Absolutely. they're gonna do. And and I love how uh, you know people march through the halls, there's the drum line, and they go and symbolically mail their, their applications into the colleges, which I think is really cool. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. But then I also want to talk about the issue of the, the idea of race and other issues that you have to take on as a principal and how you manage to do that. So I came into a school as well that the school board had just said, you know, we're going to close it. 
And then the parents went in an uproar and said, we don't want you to close it. And so the school board knew like we have to close a school because we don't have enough kids to keep all these schools open. And, and I came in as the principal and there were opportunities because of that, and there are also challenges because of that, but that idea of people had essentially already written the school off. And so it was like, there's no, there's no hope for it. So especially in the, in your situation where you're dealing with these racial tensions, how do you take on those challenges and create change from that when those are really dangerous topics to, to get involved in? Super dangerous, hot button, the slightest feather trigger, right? I mean, it's just, it doesn't take much. Um, what I did was when I became principal in July 1st of 2012, um, within the first week or two, I actually reached out to all the civic leaders in the area, invited them in for a meeting, and all the elected officials that wanted to come, state senators, um, state assembly, city council. They all came. They all came that uh, first couple of weeks. And I just listened and listened to what they were talking about. They really, these guys, for the most part, these folks, because there were some, definitely, it was men and women, <laughs> they wanted the school to succeed but they wanted it to succeed in a way that did not, they felt, impact their neighborhoods. They, they, they felt that their property values were going down. I mean, it comes down to that. This is not a typical urban site, Jethro. It was, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, private homes in this area. And there's also some garden apartments. And the folks there really wanted to let me know that they were, um, they used the term, we're Velcro to, to your high school. And I said, it's not my high school, it's our high school. <laughs> you know, this is ours. This isn't anybody else's. Actually, this is more yours than it is mine. I live 20 miles away, you guys live across the street. And once I, you know, and not in a smart alecky type of way, but in a way to really let them know that I'm here to help you make this place great. And I mean, really great, not just passable. And they said, well, what, what are some things you're going to do? I went through some of the stuff with them, even though uh, they weren't, except for maybe one or two. We're talking about 15 people or so in this group. They're not educators, but I told them exactly what I wanted to do education-wise in terms of improving instruction, improving community relations. That's why I'm having you guys here. And essentially doing whatever we need to do to change. See, changing culture is a tough phrase. But shifting culture is probably the better way to frame it, um, because whatever I said to one group, I couldn't assume that it wouldn't get to another group. You have to be consistent. You have to be real. You have to be unwavering and flexible <laughs> at the same time. So you're like a, a flag in, in the wind. But let me give you the, the, maybe the best thing that, uh, that I did. And it's such a simple thing, Jethro. It really is. The building had a tremendous analog clock on the front facing the avenue there. It's tremendous. I'd say it's like 10 feet circular, right? It hadn't worked in, depending on who you talk to, in 20 years or 40 years. People weren't even sure. One of the first public move I did was I, I made sure that that clock was fixed. And guess what? All these... Um, Newspapers, they start to write articles about the clock. And the headlines were, uh, you know, new principal fixes clock, dot, 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 finally. 
And it sent a message to the community that it's not going to be the same old, same old, because I would say maybe half a dozen principals had never bothered to fix the clock. (laughs) Think about that. I mean, it's such a small thing, but it's huge. And it, it signals to the community. What I love about that story, Sam, is that it signals to the community that you care about what's outside of the school as well as what's inside of the school. So when they walk by that every day and they see, oh, that clock's wrong, it, it is this little thing that just keeps on building and building and grows over time. I hate that stupid school because that clock is always broken. And it's not even a, a big deal, right? And yet to the people who live there, it's just one more indication of how this school is a failure because they can't even fix the clock. How can we expect them to educate kids if they can't even keep a clock running? Right. It's like you're driving by and you have a watch and you have a cell phone. Your, your car has the time on it too, but your eye is fixed on the school that you, and you look at the clock and you, and it's, there's a psychological uh, that happens when you see a clock that's not working. That means that what's inside is probably also not working. You may not even consciously think that, but your body does. And so once that was done, all of a sudden I had parents who said, I don't want to send my kid to your high school. I'm sorry. I'm just not ready to do that. To by now, uh, all the feedback I have from political leaders is that no one, if their kid gets chosen to be at that school or ends up going to that school, they never have that phone call that says, I want my kid out of there. Never happens anymore. So just that alone. And, it, and the reason I bring this up, Jethro, is because when I was in uh, New Leaders, which is a, uh, a professional uh, group for developing principals, and one of the folks from Harvard said something to a very large group of aspiring principals. And I was one of the oldest ones there. I mean, most of the aspiring principals, they, these are really smart people from all over the country in their tw- late 20s, early 30s, right? And she said something that really struck me and it made me, and I didn't know which high school I was going to get yet. And she said, you know, I'm going to just say this. uh, And since I'm not giving her name, it's okay. Um, But here's the truth. Large schools, once they get to a certain point where they're non-functional, they never bounce back. And she said the word never. And so when I uh, (laughs) got the opportunity to become principal of a large high school, you can imagine what happened inside my head. I said, oh, no, what, you know, how's this going to. And yet, once I met the kids, you know what happened? Uh, about 10 seniors, two B seniors, they were rising seniors. This is in the end of June. They were, uh, I was still with, the, with, the, uh, with my predecessor in her office. And she heard a knock on the door and she opened it up. She went outside and she said, you know what? These kids, they want to talk to you. And the first thing they asked me, Jethro, was, uh, you're Mr. Soche, right? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You seem cool. And I go, all right, thank you. We only have two questions for you right now. I go, okay. One, can we have a football team? <laughs> that was number one. And then, you know what the second thing they asked? Are we going to have to wear uniforms? Because in, uh, in New York City at that time, I think it's still probably in vogue, uh, smaller high schools, when they got, when they went through whatever issues they went through, they would have to wear black slacks and white shirts and another school in the same building, blue shirts. And, you know, like 
and and they were like little armies of kids. And these are high school kids. These aren't like uh, youngsters. And the first thing I said to them was, ah, uniforms. I don't think so. I don't think, they go, oh, thank, thank. How about a football team? I go, and they had a football field. And I said, I don't know. Let's work on it. That's something that we can try to work on. It's tough to have a football roster. Um, we never did the football team, unfortunately. Uh, but we did get a lot of other teams really going. I'll give you another example. The, the basketball team, when they had home games, uh, they were not allowed to have fans in the stands because the previous administration did not believe that they could behave themselves at a basketball game. So they actually nailed the stands so that they would not be allowed to. Can you believe that? They actually nailed them. They forced the custodians to do that. And of course, one of the first thing, you know, no, we're, we're having and we're going to have homecoming and we're going to, you know, and we're going to do really cool stuff and, you know, whatever else. And we're going to honor kids and we're going to honor coaches. And we honored one of their uh, one of the coaches from the 60s. We uh, created a memorial for them. In other words, to, to create real historical pride and current pride. So sorry for sorry for going off on a tangent there, but. No, I, I like those examples because it just goes back to what you said in the beginning, which was it's about shifting the culture. It's crazy for us to think that we can erase the past and act like it never happened. And what we need to do instead is we need to shift the culture of the school to be something that we are proud of and want it to be. And that's where I think it's it's really powerful. And those those seemingly little things that you did actually spoke volumes to the kids and to the community about what you were all about. And, and that to me is really, um, really fascinating. Now for clarity's sake, you got to tell us when you say a small school that's redone, how big is Martin Van Buren? So when I took over Van Buren high school, it was about 2,300 students. By the time I left because of downsizing and they did stick another school, they did place a, a school up on our third floor. So by the time I left, we were about at 1,300. So it became a large mid-sized school. But by most standards, structurally, it was still a, a large uh, high school with about 350 kids or so per grade from 9 through 12. So, But initially, uh, we were supposed to have like a graduating class of you know, 600 plus seniors, 650. But as I told you, you know, not even half of them graduated initially. Which when not even half of them are graduating, then, you know, you're really doing some things wrong, you know, and that's, that's where you got to, our whole purpose is to get kids to graduate. So if we're not doing that, then we got, we got bigger issues for sure. Right. And the attendance was barely 80% by the time, uh, within a few years, we were at closer to 90. Now, remember 90 is not great, but when you consider that it's a, a high school where a lot of kids are really far away and may have other responsibilities besides going to school. We can, we can talk about that, which is, you know, some, some of the advantage, right? The advantage of remote learning now is that now kids don't have to be in school and still be uh, attending it, right? They don't have to physically be there. Um, but, you know, we're, we're sort of a ways away from that because we know that remote learning has all kinds of pitfalls, you know, that we're seeing currently. in this very day. This has been a a great conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And I think we just barely scratched the surface. (laughs) So 
Um, I think there's definitely more for us to talk to. But in closing, um, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you? Well, I think you have to be a risk taker. And I don't mean being reckless, <laughs> but you, <laughs> right? Because there are some people that uh, I, I've seen principals just go through some real self-destructive histrionics just to prove that they're risk takers. You have to be careful with that because you're dealing with kids' lives and families' lives. But you have to be willing to, what I mean by risk is you have to be willing to go butt your head against people that can fire you. That's really what I mean. And, and if they see that you're passionate enough and that you care enough and that maybe you have an idea that's worth pursuing, they won't. They will stick with you. If it doesn't work, they'll blame you. And when it works, Jethro, they'll take the credit. Most importantly, they'll take the credit. Yeah, that's good. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. It was great to uh, chat with you, to learn from you. And um, I think we may need to have you back on in the future to talk more about the things you're doing. I, I would I would really love to. You have an incredibly important show. And I think that you know more people need to tune in. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, if you're listening to this, you've enjoyed it, make sure you share it with somebody as well as any of the podcasts you listen to. And if you want links to um, the College March video or the uh, gun control CBS News presentation that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but was something else that was cool at the school, that's in the show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So make sure you check that out. And once again, thank you, Sam, for being here. Thank you so much. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, FlexTime enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your FlexTime work for you. 
Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.